This is the third podcast in a series that I call The Great Tribulation and the End of Time. In this particular podcast, I'm going to talk about the first of six resurrections. In my ongoing research on the remnant in Scripture, I have actually identified six resurrections. Some are obvious, and others can only be discerned through the figurative nature of the biblical text. Therefore, Given the advanced nature of this presentation, I am offering it only to our faithful members and partners who are dedicated students of the Bible. Furthermore, as I worked to share with you what I have discovered, I found that one podcast on these resurrections would not be sufficient. So this is the first of two podcasts that will explore these six different resurrections. So part three is the first resurrection, and then the next part four will be on the resurrections two through six. To validate my argument that there is hidden information in the figurative nature of the biblical text, I draw your attention to Job 12.22, where we read, God reveals mysteries from the darkness and brings the deep darkness into light. So, We must be searching in Scripture for these mysteries. Yeshua expands on this astonishing statement about mysteries in Scripture when speaking to his disciples. To you, faithful disciples, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, pointing to those who had come to hear him teach, it has not been granted. That's in Matthew 13, verse 11. The mysteries are in the depth of Scripture that God makes known in his time, but faithful disciples must do the work to uncover them, which we are about to do together. So, I have found what I believe to be six resurrections. Since six is not a complete number, but seven is, I searched for a seventh resurrection without success until I had a sudden understanding when I read about the seventh bowl of wrath in Revelation. In Revelation sixteen seventeen, we read, The seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. The seventh bowl does not contain God's wrath, but signifies the end of God's allowing seven years of great tribulation. Therefore, I have concluded that the seventh resurrection is symbolized by the end of Sukkot, when God and his people will celebrate the end of God's work to bring all his children into his righteous presence. That leaves us with six resurrections to explore. What will it be like in a resurrected body? Before looking at these different resurrections, I would like to paint a picture of what it will be like when we are in a resurrected body. We have three sources of information in Scripture. One is the resurrected body of Yeshua, and the other two are descriptions by the New Testament authors John and Paul. We will take the resurrected body of Yeshua first. I suggest there are three important observations. First, he was not a spirit or a ghost. Instead, he was in a physical body that looked the same as his pre-resurrection physical body. The Apostle Thomas had not been with the other apostles when Yeshua appeared to them. So when the other apostles told Thomas about Jesus, Thomas said, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Jesus 
was in a physical body with the wounds of his resurrection. Second, reinforcing the physical resurrected body, we learn that Jesus ate bread with the two men he met on the road to Emmaus. Then, when he appeared to the apostles who were fishing at the Sea of Galilee, he ate a meal of fish and bread with them. The third observation surprised me when I saw it. All those who looked at the resurrected physical body of Yeshua did not recognize him. That was the case with Mary Magdalene and the two on the road to Emmaus. When Mary came to the tomb, she saw that the body of Yeshua was not there. Then, after speaking to two angels, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. In fact, she thought he was the gardener. And it wasn't until Yeshua spoke her name that she recognized him. As for the two on the road to Emmaus, Yeshua approached and began walking with them, but we are told that their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Yeshua called them foolish men and slow of heart because they had failed to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. It was not until after Yeshua witnessed to them by speaking from Scripture that they knew who he was. So apparently, only those who know and live God's word will recognize Yeshua when he returns. These two accounts of Mary and the two on the road to Emmaus draws our attention to the parable of the sheep in the sheep pen. In this parable, a shepherd is the doorkeeper, and we hear that the doorkeeper, who stands for the Messiah, opens the gate and the sheep hear his voice, that is, they recognize him, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Therefore, I suggest that when Yeshua returns, it will only be those whom God has selected as a remnant who will hear his voice and recognize him. So what will it be like when we are in resurrected bodies? The Apostle Paul explains, Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. When the remnant enters the millennial kingdom with Yeshua as their king and high priest, they will be in physical resurrected bodies. The Apostle Paul expands our understanding We will be changed, he tells us. This perishable, meaning what is corrupted by sin, must put on the imperishable without sin. And this mortal, subject to death, must put on immortality. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 53 to 54. The physical resurrected body is righteous without sin, which is eternal life. That allows us to come into the presence of God. Let's look now at the first resurrection. The New Testament offers information about the first resurrection, but unfortunately there is much misunderstanding. Perhaps the most egregious error is the theology that all believers in Christ, and only believers in Christ, will be raptured, meaning transported to heaven before the Great Tribulation begins. This is called the pre-tribulation rapture. 
There is also a mid-tribulation theory that suggests that all believers in Christ will be raptured in the middle of the Great Tribulation. My research in Scripture, which I have been conducting intensively for three decades, has led me to a different conclusion. As I discussed in the second podcast in this series, I have found that only a remnant from Israel and a remnant from Gentile believers in Christ will be resurrected at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. You can listen again to the second podcast to review this information. The following verses offer evidence about the first resurrection, which, I suggest, has been largely misunderstood. The coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. That's in Matthew chapter 24, and I've cited from verse 34 and verses 40 to 41. Let's take one idea at a time that will give us a picture of God's future judgment that will select a remnant. Number one, what were the days of Noah like? After exclaiming that the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah, Yeshua then describes the people, which explains the reason for the flood. They did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. Take away is iro, meaning to take away by lifting up. Number two, what did they not understand? These people were living a worldly existence instead of living according to the principles of God. Yeshua tells us, They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. That is, they were living in the ways of the world, which are the ways of the God of this world, who is Satan. When Noah entered the ark, we have a stark contrast to these worldly people. Number three, what does the ark represent? The ark is a prophetic shadow of the temple where God resides. By entering the ark, Noah was metaphorically coming into God's presence in righteousness. In fact, Noah is identified as the first remnant. You remember, only Noah was left. Sha'ar, a word for the remnant, is translated left. And God declared Noah to be righteous in his eyes. That's Genesis 6, 9, and then Genesis chapter 7, verse 23. Now we must take a look in Matthew to understand who was taken and who was left. Who will be taken? Christian theology identifies this prophetic event with the rapture of all Christian believers. I disagree. The New Testament Greek text says, Ice, meaning one, paralambanatai, kai ice, Again, number one, afietai. We have two very important verbs. The first, paralambanatai, has been translated, one will be taken, which evokes a theological image of the rapture. However, the verb means to take by grasping, taking hold of, and thus receiving. Listen to how the word is used in John 1.11. He, Yeshua, came to his own, and those who were his own 
did not receive him. Receive is our word. That is, they did not receive him by grasping and taking hold of who Yeshua was and what he was telling them. Now we can return to the one who will be taken in Matthew. That person will be received by God, who will metaphorically grasp and take hold of him or her because God perceives that person is righteous and will bring that person into God's presence. This is not a rapture of people being lifted up to God. Instead, it is a metaphorical picture of the future judgment when God will discern between two groups of people. He will bring this first group into his presence because he sees them as righteous, just like Noah. Number two, we need to ask, who will be left? Again, we must scrutinize the verb. Afi etai, which has been translated, will be left. This translation is misleading. The word means to let go or send away, and one usage is for the separation of divorce. Listen to Yeshua, who uses this word with the paralytic that he had just healed. Your sins are forgiven, he says in Matthew 9, verse 2. The translation forgiven is the same word that has been translated be left in Matthew. That is, the sins of the paralytic have let go of their control and have been sent away. So who was left in Matthew? Those who were sent away and divorced from God's presence. They are not the righteous remnant. Again, this is language of judgment and has nothing to do with the rapture. Now let's look at the rapture theory. We will consider another verse that promotes the theory of a rapture, which has been largely misunderstood. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, we read, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Again, we will take one point at a time. Number one, the dead in Christ will rise first. I suggest that Christian theology has failed to see, let alone understand, the distinction between Christ in you and when you are in Christ. Christ in you is the gift of God's Holy Spirit that gives a believer in Christ the promise of eternal life with God. It also offers the power to operate the Holy Spirit by one's faith and love of Christ. Now we come to what it means to be in Christ. The power to operate the gift of the Holy Spirit is dormant. It's lying quiet and asleep until and unless you operate it. When you do operate this power, you are walking by the Spirit in righteousness. It is as if you are metaphorically in Christ, speaking and doing what he would do. Now you can understand Paul's cry. There is no condemnation, the word katakrima means penalty as a result of judgment, for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. That is, they are walking, speaking, and acting as Christ Jesus would walk and speak and act, and therefore they have no penalty in judgment. 
So who will rise first? Those whom God finds to be walking in Christ like Jesus Christ walked. Number two, we must take a look at we who are alive and remain. The literal translation uses the participle to convey ongoing action. Thus, the correct translation should be the ones living and remaining in an ongoing sense of time, not we who are alive and remain at the time of judgment. This understanding is especially significant in the light of the expression remaining, which is the same word we encountered in Revelation that was used for the remnant, with one exception. Here in 1 Thessalonians, the word loipos, meaning to be left or remain, is emphasized by a preposition hooked onto the front, peri, meaning because of. So it's peri loipos, because of being left or remaining. So, who are those who are truly in the process of living? They are faithfully living by the will of God. And who are those who are remaining as loyal and trustworthy in God's eyes? God will judge these people as righteous because, the preposition peri means because, they are living in accordance with God, which means they will be left, loipos, at the time of God's judgment. They will be a righteous remnant that will work with their Lord Yeshua to further God's plan to redeem all of his people. Now I want to take a look at each in his own order. Because there is one more verse I would like to address in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm reading now from verses 20 to 23. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For is as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. There are three aspects of this verse that need further scrutiny and which, I suggest, have received scant attention among Christians. Number one, these three verses are presented in parallel lines. At first, I thought it might be a chiastic construction due to the repetition of first fruits, but that was not the case. However, the parallel lines do stimulate challenging thoughts and point to the first aspect that caught my attention, which is first fruits. In the first A1 line, now Christ has been raised from the dead, and in the A2 line, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Since first fruits is later repeated to describe the resurrection of Yeshua, I stop to consider the meaning. The most obvious is the gift of first fruits to God from the grain harvest for bread, grapes for wine, and olives for olive oil. The first produce to be harvested was considered the best and therefore was an appropriate gift for God. However, since I was curious, I explored where the term first fruits in English first appears in the Hebrew scriptures. And I must admit, I was surprised. 
there are two Hebrew words that are used for this first fruit offering. One is bikurim, which is referring to the offering itself, and I found a total of 10 verses where that is used. The other is reshit, meaning first in order, and I found a total of seven verses that use this word reshit. I was quite familiar with bikurim as a first fruit offering, but I must admit I was a bit surprised to learn that reshit, meaning first in order or sequence, applied to the first fruit offering almost as many times as bikurim. How does this affect our understanding of the resurrection of Christ as the first fruits? I suggest that both meanings apply, referring to the offering and meaning first in order. Applying both meanings is quite common in Hebrew as a form of play on words. Yes, Yeshua was a perfect gift to God by his death and resurrection, but he was also the first in a sequence of resurrections. This conclusion is reinforced by what follows. We will continue now to consider the next few parallel lines, which will lead us to the second thing that caught my attention. Number two. The next set of parallel lines, which is an ABAB construction, is self-explanatory. So we will simply read them. We will consider the relationship of these parallel lines and will then continue to the next set of lines that follow, which is where a startling statement appears. Well, let me read the A lines and the B lines together. A1, for since by a man came death. A2, for as in Adam all die. B1, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. B2, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Now listen to the next portion of this verse. And I've got an A line that stands alone, but each in his own order. And then I have two B lines because they're in parallel. B1, Christ the firstfruits. B2, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. I'm reading here, by the way, from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 23. The Greek tagma, which has been translated order, as in each in his own order, actually refers to a class or group of people. So we should translate each in or according to his own group. This is not one resurrection of all Christian believers, but a sequence of resurrections that will occur in God's time. Now I go to number three. The third thing that caught my attention was in Christ all will be made alive. Do you remember that in Christ refers metaphorically to being in Christ when you do and say everything like Yeshua? Who then will be made alive? Those who are in Christ. The first group to be resurrected, I suggest, will be the righteous remnant that live like their Lord Yeshua. Other groups will then follow in subsequent re resurrections, which means that you are now ready to consider the second resurrection that I am going to explain in the next and last podcast, which will cover resurrections two through six. So I trust you will join me in the last podcast, the podcast number four, where I will continue to share with you the different resurrections.